The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Hey guys, it's RJ, and it's an emergency podcast, to use the Bill Simmons term, today, Monday, and a day here in Vegas, and it is a truly historic day. Supreme Court comes down. The states are now free, free to do what they want with sports betting. We've been waiting a long time for this. So this podcast, the future of sports betting in America and if I could have had anyone, anyone join us, number three on the list would have been Matty Holt. <laughs> <laughs> formally, no, no, number one, number one. Formally, formally vice president of CG Technology. Now he has some plans. We're just going to say this. He has some plans. Now, Matty, you put your notice in and your last day was actually last week at CG, correct? Yeah, last Wednesday, I gave my notice two weeks before that, and uh, the timing couldn't have been any better. My first It's almost goal. like you knew something. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> so here's the thing about Maddie, and a lot of you that listen to the Dream Preview understands this guy's sharp, right? That's kind of the starting point, is he's sharp. But when it comes to individual games, handicapping, and all that, but when it comes to what goes on behind the counter... This is the guy that was, you know, one of the key guys, a vice president for how many years at CG were you? Seven years, 2011, 2018. And over those years, CG took more bets, more handle than any bookmaker in Nevada. Correct. So, and I think this is unequivocally true. You have dealt with on a personal one-on-one level with the sports leagues in aggregate more than any person in the history of Nevada. Correct. I would say that's probably true. So both understanding betters, understanding handicapping, understanding bookmaking, but also understanding the regulations and laws and the hypocrisies of regulations and such and, and having the government involved and also the integrity side. The idea is now that there's legalization, how do we monitor and minimize game fixing. I think you touch on pretty much all of these areas in an expert fashion. We're excited to have you. Well, I appreciate it. I think it's, I agree with you that today is actually a historic today and just one of the beginning of what's going to be an amazing uh, sports betting industry in the United States as it starts to blossom. Showtime! All right, let's get started. We didn't plan this. I want you to tell me your number one most important impactful thing today, meaning it could be, you know, as simple as I think we're going to be at 30 States very soon. And and it's a domino effect and look out. It could be notice that this happened. Notice just kind of the one observation you think people might not be paying enough attention to. I think it's the fact that this is going to breed competition. So if you look up, uh, you know, from legislature to legislature, from bill to bill that's been passed, they're all a little bit different. And what we're going to start to see is they all launch and create their own little uh, betting stratosphere per se and, and, and betting economies within their states. We're going to see some are going to be more successful than others. 
And people are going to look to the states that are successful and say, why was it, you know, a reduction of fees? Was it easier licensure? Was it more integrity? Uh, what was it that made this state so much more successful over this state? And as we know, competition's always good for an economy and it's always good um, for the betters, in this case, the consumers. And I think we're going to see some really great products and some really uh, refined rules within all these states in a few years once everyone has the opportunity to look upon the successes and the failures that some of the individual legislatures passed. But that's a multiple year process, right? Sure. It's year four and a state's like, wait a minute, our revenue's X and the neighbor next door is 2X and we're the same size. What's going on? Then it takes them another couple years to figure out what to do, right? So, But in those couple of years, we'll actually finally have the best sports betting economy in the U.S. possible. I also am a little conf- uh, uncertain about the competition side if each state is self-contained. Now, I get the idea, and I grew up actually in this environment. I grew up right uh, 20 minutes south of Steubenville in Ohio, Jimmy the Greek's hometown. It was in the water. And right across the river from Wheeling, West Virginia, literally my house was two blocks from the river. I could be in West Virginia, not that I necessarily wanted to be, but I could be in West Virginia uh, in, in six, seven minutes. So in theory, if Ohio has sports batting and West Virginia does, and really I could have been in Pennsylvania in like 40 minutes right across the panhandle. So imagine that if someone bets Saturday morning in Ohio, drives across the river, bets with their app in West Virginia, drives another 20 minutes and bets with their app in Pennsylvania. There's going to be people on the border that can do that. But for the most part, people are going to be only offered what's offered in their state. So the competition would be amongst the players in the state, the operators, but not otherwise, right? No, I, I think you're, I think a lot of these states are actually closer than people think. And nowadays, every Closer in the plan they have on how to make this happen? Yeah, well, not just the plan they have to make this happen, but I think part of it, the competition, too, is, you know, not just the people that drive around the border, but everybody knows somebody. Hey, man, the West Virginia is so much better than Ohio. Can you bet for me in Ohio or can I go to Ohio and sign up an account and try to trick the system? And But that's going to be a minority of people. Yeah, isn't maybe. It? Maybe yeah, that's maybe the kind of people right. you hang out with. No. <laughs> Would, would have, you know, they have the VPN and they're in the pinnacle <laughs> and all that. Not that you would no, do that. No, no never, way. Never. But, <laughs> so I think it's going to be that same old monopoly. Like, you know, the, the guy with the toothpick and, and the Southern draw saying, well, it's the way it is in Arkansas or whatever. And not being against Arkansas, but I mean, because. I he, feel like don't you think there has to be some legislative pressure though? Hey, if you're in Pennsylvania, and right there in Philadelphia, you're only an hour away from Atlantic City, and and Pencil and Philly's kicking the crap out of AC. Doesn't New Jersey say, "Hey, let's back up for a minute. Where did we go wrong?" I agree. In that scenario, though, Philly is in one state and Atlantic City is another, and they're separated what by a half hour, or sure. whatever. So, I here's what my fear. Think about how bad of a bet the lottery is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even think people realize how bad of a bet it is because. They're taking half off the go. So let's say there's 100 million in the pot. All right, 50 is ours. Now we're going to pay you the winner. But oh, by the way, if you want all the money now, even though you supposedly won the 50 million, you've got to pay a time, you know, that the prepay amount, or you get it once a year for 20 years. So now you get the time value of money and it chops it down again if you take it all. Now you pay 50% tax 
on the money you won. So in a weird way, it goes from 100 to 50 to 35 to like 17. You're probably making 17 million on your 100 million. No one's complaining. No. Right? Because oh, it's 17 million. The states are used to that. The states are used to having it their way where they're making, you know, now again, the federal government's obviously taking some of the cut, but in aggregate, the government's taking 83 cents on the dollar of every dollar in a lottery. You really think when you talk about this dollar integrity fee, and let's get into that now, uh, or I'm sorry, the 1%, 1% integrity fee that the leagues are proposing. Everyone's saying, oh, if you do the math, They'd have to offer minus one twenty two or whatever it is that would eat would give additional vig to cover that one percent. Do you really think those good old boys or 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 the the upstate Albany crew in New York are going to think oh poor betters? I think they think about betters as just idiots and 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 that they never should have a chance to win and that that they're not price sensitive. So are you worried that the industry guys that are poo-pooing this 1% don't understand that these states are thinking of it not as a way to make money, but as a recreational expense, and minus 120 doesn't sound so bad? Well, as somebody involved in the integrity side, I'm about to make a really unpopular statement here. And let's well, first of all, let's say that it's not 1% everywhere. A lot of these states have negotiated that down to like quarter of 1% or half of 1%. So in very few states, it's actually going to be 1%. But I don't think a lot of people understand the amount of work that goes into mo- pulling in all this data, monitoring all this data, looking at all these wagers, looking at insider information, timing of bets, when they came in, when things were announced. Uh, I'm going to give the leagues a pass here right out of the gate and say that as someone who's worked with them for so long and done the integrity side of it, I understand the workload involved. And I think we should give them a pass now to see how much time and effort they're going to put into integrity uh, before we all start bashing the integrity portion of it. And I agree with you. If it's a, and I heard this, and we know a lot of the same people in, uh, on that side, and and you know you've done you know a hundred times, a thousand times what I have. So I'm here to learn about this really from you. Is and and. Well, first I'll say this. I've always heard the quarter percent is where they're going to land. If, if that's where you think it's going, I don't think that's a problem. Um, let's do some simple math, though. And some of this is semantics. Is if you have 1% of the handle. So let's say a million dollars is bet, Which you, is essentially 20% of revenue. 1% of handle. Exactly. Because if the Theo is 5%, mm-hmm. and obviously on parlays it can be more, but let's use five. So a million's bet, 50,000 is actually the revenue. I consider the handle to be put into escrow myself. I mean, I know it's semantics, it's what words we use. You didn't make that money. If that game gets canceled, you give the money back. You didn't 100%. make anything yet. When the game's over, you've got a massive expense on the other side. You know, we could call it cost of goods sold or whatever, but that's not a bottom line figure. That So to me, I think the interesting number with a million is the 50,000. That's what I consider revenue. Now, if you're taking 10,000, 1% of the million, mm-hmm. it's 20% of revenue. That's right, 20%. There's no way that that makes sense. Now, you go to 5% of revenue at a quarter, you know, one-fourth as much, now it starts making some sense. Sure. Right? 
what is because because the big thing in Nevada, and we're going to talk about Nevada. I you want to talk about unpopular opinions? I think Nevada is in trouble. I mean, real trouble. A little tease ahead here is on the sports betting side. In 1976, if I'm recalling, the taxes changed drastically where sports betting prior to that was impossible to accomplish. And what they did was, and you probably know this, they would write down on the card like a little low, a little image that meant that this was a 10x bet. So someone would bet um, $100 to win $100. let us say it's even money. But the 10x meant it was actually 1000 And it was a handshake agreement between, because it was all on paper, the bookmakers that were running these small shops, that they would ta- get taxed on the one-tenth the action would be 10x and thus they were cutting the taxes down 10x and they could actually survive. But that's not a model that you can grow, right? And expand in the late 70s, mid to late seventies, they changed the tax as of now. What is the tax on uh, the, how is sports betting taxed in Nevada? I believe it is uh 6.25% of revenue. And then there's another small handle tax, which I believe is like 0.2% a handle. So like one sixteenth, like 6.25, so a little bit more than 5%. Correct. All right. So the 5%, it, it, if Nevada is able to handle it in theory, um, and in this case, it would be a quarter percent of the uh, handle. The quarter percent of the handle is something that you would think they can handle. Right? Agreed, yeah. But when you're saying the 6.25, is that on handle? No, that's on revenue. Revenue, okay. So that's, yeah. exa- okay. So the quarter percent on but it's handle still is about it's the same. still top line revenue. You're still paying it out before you pay your employees, your rent, yeah. et cetera, yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's top line revenue. Mm-hmm. But it's not handle, which Correct. is the problem. Okay. So let me ask you the next question. So if it goes to a quarter percent, I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure that's going to happen, but you think it will? Some so states th- already have in- invoked the quarter percent in the bills that they which put state? Up. Which states? Uh, I think West Virginia that you were speaking of. If you look into their bill, it's a quarter of a percent. Okay, I remember seeing it on three, and I don't want to speak wrongly, but I'm fairly certain West Virginia is one of them. So I feel confident saying but that it one. hasn't been passed yet. For example, no, but okay. it's been put in front of the house. Yeah. Okay. Why are the leagues involved with integrity at all? Well, and, I, and I get play devil's advocate because I get you have working relationships with these guys. But yeah, I mean, I don't want to sit here and just be the league side because you know I do yeah, so much but, but work. I, and, but but listen, we all understand people. To me, if someone admits that they have business interests, then admitting it tells us, hey guys, I can't talk freely here. Anyone that has a problem with that, sure. Is is goofy, right? It's the person that acts like he's being all honest, but he's really being disingenuous. That that I can't stand. So let's under let's just play devil's advocacy. Well, let me play devil's advocacy sure. and tell and you take the side of the leagues. The NBA, NFL, I don't care. We'll just call them the leagues. The leagues were against this the whole time. It took nine years for this to go from the state senator in Jersey to today. And the the court case has been six years. If the leagues wouldn't have been an interested party against it, the odds of this happening would have went up and it would have the odds of it happening sooner would have went up. Right. Correct. Now that the horse is out of the barn, it's like, okay, pay me for the horse. It's like, 
You kept the horse trapped all this time. Now the horse got away from you. You don't have any control over it. And I was hearing these leagues talking, and they're like, well, if our game's being bet on, then we should get a portion of it. It's like, I can bet what color shirt you're going to wear tomorrow, Maddie Holt. And are you supposed to get a cut if I bet someone what color sh- shirt you're going to wear? Well, let me play and let me give you yeah. the league side right yeah. now. So, Which is your side. What's one of the, yeah, what's <laughs> one of the most important things that can happen? Let's just use an NBA game. One. We, we track the biggest three line moves uh, every year. And if we took the top 10 line moves the last three years, they're all revolved around information. Now, imagine a situation. So when you say information, you mean inside information. Inside information. Now, that's different than game fixing. It is, but like, if you like a the quarterback, NBA, like, you like have a, to stop that. A point guard is out. No one knows it. Huge betting. And then the public finds out later. But this is how it turns into a spiral. You know, say a LeBron James, we saw a, a game last year, Oklahoma City in hosting the Cleveland Cavaliers where it opened Cleveland minus two and a half. It got announced that Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving and LeBron James were all going to miss. It went all the way to minus 14 Oklahoma city, a 16 point line move in the NBA with those three players resting. And then in half an hour before the game, it gets announced that they're not actually resting line goes all the way back to Cleveland minus one. There were a lot of bets in the middle there. So people what knew is would be your guess. might've known. And the problem with that is that information becomes too valuable. And now you start having trainers, you have HIPAA issues with, uh, you know, releases on, on HIPAA related items, privacy issues. And not only that, what if it was a player that actually released it to his friend? Hey, I'm going to rest tonight. I'm just, I'm going to take the night off. It could be innocent. It could be innocent. But then later on, a friend of a friend of that player's comes back and tries to use extortion to that player. Hey, I'm going to show everyone this text where you texted ahead of time that you weren't going to play. There's so many information related issues that people don't think investigations cost so money. And on the league side, they're fitting that they're flipping that bill. Hey, we're going to pay to investigate our league. We're going to pay to make sure the trainers aren't improperly releasing information. We're going to pay uh, to make sure the people and but processes that are handled the- appropriately. So what you're saying is, and this is a fascinating point, so let's drill into it. What percent of the things you saw that are either information moves where people knew things that other people didn't, not an opinion, oh, I think this defense is going to do well, but rather it's going to be about mostly who's playing, right? Correct. Or the weather in an outdoor sport. Yeah, but that the weather's public information. It's not sure, like someone has public. the inside. Yes. So Agreed. I don't think anyone can get blamed. I mean, it's not like there's a trainer that knows, you know, there's not the special weather guy in Green Bay that knows the weather better than anyone else. Agreed. Right? So, Is the player playing or not, whether it's injury, rest, or suspensions, whatever related. Exactly. Okay. If you say for every true game fixing that there is... And, and again, I don't think that's the right term. Well, let's call if we it point use game shaving. fixing, we're talking referee. So let's use insider information when we talk about whether or not players play. Well, but I wanted to compare the two okay. because my guess is, and, and you've had a lot of dealings on the college side too, right? Sure. Where, where in game fixing, I, I think point shaving is the better word. Because usually sure. they, the, and we saw it in the movie The Gambler, and I think it's it's true, is usually it's going to be a favorite of 10 points or more even 16, 18 points, and hey, win this game by 10, not 16. Sure. No one gets hurt, right? It's not like the result changes. And these kids from Toledo, San Diego, Arizona State, most of them aren't going in the league. That money means a lot to them. It makes sense. Follow the money. Is For every one of those types of corruption versus 
unknown inside information got released. What's the ratio? I'm guessing the information side is 10 to one or more, but how, how common is uh, point shaving versus inside information? So let's break it into three buckets. And in the in all those three buckets are referees, inside information, and point shaving. Players shave points, referees fix games, and uh, the, whether players are playing or not, inside information. In the professional sports, it's probably ninety five percent insider information, about three percent officials. Uh, let's even go more: four percent officials, one percent player point shaving. But you would say one percent of the instances in the professional leagues is player point shaving. Out of 100 of them, we do see instances, uh, especially with all the in-play, second-half, quarter betting. We do see what we would, oh, what geez. you would consider suspicious activity in games by players. Now, Not, not ta- fouling in a game where you're a four-point underdog and you're down five with 30 seconds to play, where normally you could get six possessions out of it. Mm. So there was that college game. What was that? Was it Florida State? There was a lot of questions at the end uh, in the play or in the NCA. Uh, and again, I didn't. Uh, not saying there was any problem with that. And that's part so, of it too. Sifting through the ones that look suspicious on the surface and deeming whether they really are or not, because nine out of ten of them really aren't. So what? Uh, let me see. How do I want to ask this? Talking about leagues in general, no specific league. That one percent of the time that a player's suspicious what is the act what do they do do they go talk to him and kind of tell him we're watching you assuming they're gonna quit because we haven't heard it's been years and years in fact i can't remember well you just in decades that there's in been a professional player oh so you're saying the one percent we're talking here college and pro yeah what what can you think of any suspicious and again not talking in particulars any suspicious player activity at the professional level um, there certainly has been some that we looked into, yeah. So what does the league do with that once so, you tell them, hey, we were looking into this guy? So, of course, the league has its you know own confidentiality of exactly how they handle it, but they're allowed to do a much deeper investigation than anybody would be that's just helping monitor integrity and wagering activity. You know, the league can actually go in and subpoena bank accounts, look at financial transactions, and uh, tend to do a deeper dive to see if this player is actually, you know, is he in trouble? Does has he had some issues where he owes money or they can do a much deeper, more thorough investigation into that player. And, you know, on the other side of it, from the data analytics collectors, we can look to see if there is a pattern. Hmm. And, but, but obviously on the pro side, on the player side, we haven't had in 20, I mean, maybe I'm forgetting things, but has there been anyone since the green Bay pack? There was the Packers and that, that wasn't even necessarily game fixing. I can't think of any, can you? That that became public. No, not the okay. No. Interesting. Now on the player side in college, I would think that number would be much higher than one percent. Well, you still get a lot of insider information. Yeah, so yeah. much of it. Well, you see it all the time, especially with the injury reports being not as uniform in college right. either, right? And and you were behind the counter seeing it. I remember a game three or four years ago in the Big Twelve, maybe Noki State or something, where quarterback uh, line drops like three points from like uh, seven to four, and then two hours later the quarterback's announced out. It That's happens not all uncommon. the time. Yeah, and and really in college, part of the problem is mostly in the pros you don't get these out of nowhere suspensions. If a player is suspended, you can kind of see it coming, or it's a failed test. 
Uh, but in college, you get suspensions for all kinds of things, missing curfew, play, you know, team violation, all these crazy things. And out of nowhere, these players are suspended. And the only people that know are the, you know, the officials around the team and, you know, trying to main, contain that leakage in a, in a collegiate atmosphere is even more challenging than a professional one. I agree the leagues have great motivation to max integrity. I would say, though, the power position is the state. Let's just use New Jersey as an example. Hey, I'm from the league. Do, 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 do. Okay, I want you guys to pay us 1%. We're going to help keep the integrity. It's like, nope. In fact, be really nice to us, and we'll feed you information. We'll provide you, and this is New Jersey talking now, we'll provide you suspicious activities so you can re- research it. We're going to research it, too. We'll help you, but you're going to pay gonna for do it. Who's going to do it? Mm-hmm. Well, if you mean things like private eyes or subpoena bank Who's going rec- to do all of the monitoring of the wagering data to oh, even determine Jersey. if it's suspicious? Who the- in Jersey? Jersey does it or Jersey hires a company that, you know, there might be companies popping up that do it, right? So Jersey hires the company. Jersey's paying the money themselves, but why in the heck should the league get paid to do what they should are hyper motivated to do anyway, which is help integrity. I think the league is in a better position to investigate its own players, referees, coaches, etc. But should, but let me ask you this: If a given state, and then I'll let this go, if a given state said, for it, you know, it's some kind of macho alpha play, right? Is league X? We're not giving you a penny, but if you want to help, you know, if you want to help the integrity in your league, we'll provide you with the info to do your thing. What does the league do there? Look, look, I think you hit it perfectly. There has to be an independent company doing it. But what I think is there has to be an independent company that's dealing with both, sort of like the Price Waterhouse in the middle, where we say, look, we're going to help the leagues monitor and make sure that they're unbiased because so they're not protecting their own employees. And we're also going to help the state monitor, because we don't want the casinos to be biased, too. We want to make sure all the data is actually being shared, all the data is actually being monitored. And when we say data, we're talking about bet, betting data. Betting data, data real bets Because that's where made. you find, that's the autopsy. That's where you see, of, of all these incident, uh, incidents of inside information, refs, players, the, the canary in the coal mine is almost always irregular betting. Correlated betting activity to abnormal event activity. Player acted weird, referee acted weird, something weird happened in the game, and it also correlated with suspicious wagering activity. But what's the first step of that? Is it usually you see suspicious betting and you look for suspicious activity or vice versa? Either one. You know, let's use the scenario of the Cavs game. If suddenly everybody's betting Oklahoma City and we're like, what's going on? What's going on? To your point, a half hour later, no love, no Kyrie, no LeBron. Oh, crap. Somebody must have known they were all betting it. Now we had suspicious betting activity and then a suspicious information. So either one can happen because it's easy to go back. You know, it's easy to go back and look at the betting data after the fact. And it's also easy to go back and track the events after the fact. So, you know, the closer to real time, the better. Um, But it's still easy to go back and, oh, hey, by the way, this guy called 40 fouls on one team, five on the other. Okay, let's go back and watch it. Do we have any suspicious betting data? Yeah, we do. Or, hey, we have some really suspicious betting data. Let's go look and see if the game looked abnormal. Would you agree that if there was a report, if you not that you would or even could, I'm not sure about the disclosures, but if you somehow was leaked, you know how these leaks are, 
a write-up on every suspicious activity that went past a certain point where your confidence level was 80% or whatever. I'm guessing in the last five years, that that book would be, let's say, one page per incident that the entire sports world would be shocked. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> I mean, and a lot of them don't lead anywhere, but you just find that double correlation. And you but when you say have, don't lead anywhere, meaning you can't prove it, it doesn't mean it's not true. That's right. It means right. it just kind of leads to a brick wall. The I, I, I'm going to say this, and, not and even, wouldn't you agree though that a lot of times those brick walls, you have to feel some level of confidence because normally if if whoever is going to do it, they're going to do it multiple times. So when you see it happen once, I mean, you're right. We can't prove it that they didn't do it, but at least, um, you know, you feel like they wouldn't do it once if they were really trying to cash in. I would think nine out of 10 people that would get past the threshold of doing something like information, the minute they were told they're being watched would be the minute they would stop. Yeah. Now, there's that 10th person that's just a wild man and whatever. I think for the most part, they can't even fathom a trainer. And think about it. It's a trainer. A trainer tells his yeah. buddy. His buddy tells, and the trainer might not even know that his buddy knows a big-time gambler Correct. or whatever, right? So I, I'll let you go on this. I won't even ask you to respond to this, but here's what I would say. Business 101 is you don't pay someone to do something they would do for free. The NBA and or any league, in my opinion. And the NBA has been at the forefront of this, so I give them credit, but that's why my mind goes there first, is every league is hyper-motivated to max their game integrity. They would spend the money themselves to do it. The idea that they should get paid to do it, I think they're going to do it anyway. You don't have to respond. Now, the next question is, I think any league would be cuckoo. I mean, cuckoo to get involved with integrity, whereas they're getting paid for it. Because if they're getting paid for it and there's game fixing or any kind of corruption, who's going to get blamed? Don't, don't, don't the leaks take responsibility by saying, give us 1% and we'll make sure the games are, uh, have integrity. Well, I think what they're saying by the quarter of 1%, and I hate to keep calling yeah. it 1% because I think it's actually like a quarter, whatever, let's just call it the fee. I think what they're saying is if it wasn't for gambling, we wouldn't need to do this. But that's fine. Tough break. Like what, what are they doing? Uh, but again, I've been down that. I just feel like they, and again, they're billionaires for a reason. Right. They had it their way. Now they want it their way again. They'll probably get it because they have senators bought or whatever's going, you know, that this, the, it's a rigged system. Right. It, even if you're the president, even if you're a senator, if the system's against you. Uh, and again, I'm not talking about Trump in particular, you know, quote Bob Dylan, even the president of the United States sometimes must stand naked. If the rigged system's against you. It's you're the underdog. It doesn't matter who you are. And the leagues usually are the ones setting things up for their benefit. Right. It just, to me, I just have a personal animus towards the leagues because of the level of hypocrisy where for so long they benefited from this gambling, but they've sat there and said, well, you know, we hate that there's gambling. So you don't hate that there's gambling. You want, you want to be sanctimonious and you want the money. Now they're willing not to be sanctimonious because there's so much money to make, but now they want to even make more from it, you know, by taking 1% off the top. So I, to me, what's very important to shift topics here is everyone listening realize, and Matt, you can, I, I'm sure we'll agree 
if you if 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 there if the leagues, if the states, if everyone involved did the best they could when it came to integrity. I mean, like the bat Michael Jordan level, there'd still be there'd still be information incidents, ref incidents, and player incidents. Agreed? Sure. I mean, look, you know, the DEA does the best they can, and there's still drugs exactly. being trafficked in the United States. But it doesn't mean we should stop no, no. trying to stop the no, distribution no, 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 no. of drugs. Just like we need to try to stop the issues with integrity. No, no, no. I agree with that a hundred percent. Just to be clear, I think that the states obviously likely through companies or let's say there might be a company that, that does such a good job. Everyone uses them. I think that makes a ton of sense. I would actually hope it was written into the, uh, into the laws is the States themselves have to take their cut. Cause they're obviously going to make a nice chunk here and have a certain amount of that go to integrity that I accept. I just don't want to go into the NBA because you know they're not going to, or, or, or again, I keep going to the NBA, you know they're not going to spend every dollar they come in on integrity, right? And if they do, they're paying someone, you know, someone's uncle, you know, 300K to, to you know, who knows why. Well, we all know how it goes with uh, when, when there's construction jobs and all that, right? There, who knows what's going to happen there? I think just to move on from this topic, I think game integrity is vital. I don't think the leagues necessarily are the best people to be running it. They can participate. I don't think they should be running it. And I also think any money they're compensated for has to go a hundred percent to that. If that's the reason they're getting the money. And if that happens, I'm going to celebrate. And lastly, I really, 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 really hope people understand that a year from now or three years from now, when the next uh, incident comes up from Toledo, from school XYZ, that people don't say, oh, see legalized gambling. This has been going on. It's going to go on no matter what. And people got to realize that. Yeah, it's no different than any other type of illegal activity where people try to police it in this case. Uh, in this case, I'm really sympathetic to the side of the leagues who, I mean, they're taking on a big burden here and they're trying to, be, they're basically trying to be the DEA in a drug war. And, and I'm really sympathetic to the amount of effort and time that is put into that. And um, so, you know, and maybe that's, again, you're on the inside of it. If it ends up that the leagues being compensated significantly and they're putting that money to it effectively, then I'm going to say I was wrong about it. It felt like to me, them saying, we got to get our cut. What is going to be the most sympathetic? What's going to feel the most important? And we'll put a percentage of the money we get to that. Oh, integrity. Who wouldn't want our games to have high integrity? And then the rest of it's just pure revenue. And to me, if you're going to go down to a quarter percent anyway on the on the handle, why not make it a, da- a data fee, a, a data fee? As in, there's all this debate about, and again, the fantasy leagues, they went to court over it, but you, the leagues could go to court with um, gambling you know, states or whatever and say, hey, you're using data of ours to create these lines or in-game betting especially, and you don't have a right to that data, and we're going to go have a $40 million lawsuit over it. Why not just take the quarter percent for data and then... You know, you can do all the integrity you want, but you're not connecting getting paid for protecting the integrity of your sport, which you would think they'd want to do it anyway for PR purposes. So, and again, I think we've talked about the data before that about a year, year and a half ago, if I recall, one of our conversations was you thought that was how the leagues would get a little taste. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think there's a lot of ways to structure it, but the at the end of the day, investigations and policing and monitoring cost a lot, and it has to come from somewhere. And with a new uh, industry like this, I mean, you know, let's just see how it goes, right? I think those things can be restructured later, um, but but let's see how it goes at first. You know, understand, look, police forces cost a lot of money. The FBI costs a lot of money, and monitoring and investigating costs a lot of money, and uh, I think we should give them the benefit of the doubt until proven otherwise. Do you think there's going to be a federal framework or do you think it's going to stay state by state for a long time? Boy, that's a tricky one. I, I, I think there's a lot of, I think if you're the leagues and you're not an operator, you would rather see a federal framework because it's much easier to build your processes to help prevent certain things around a federal framework than it is. With, with one, there's only one system you right. got to contemplate. Then trying to contemplate 30 different little tweaked systems and how we can best protect ourselves from, you know, issues with each of them. How would a federal framework work? Because... Would it be like a state like Utah, though I heard Hatch today with someone who was putting something forward, Senator Hatch, which would surprise me because I would think Utah is the last state that would get it, gam or sports batting. But would it be that they're saying if a state wants sports batting, it's got to be this way? Or would it be that he, here's the federal law and every state now has sports batting? They don't have a choice. Like, how would it go? Well, that's the interesting conundrum is if you put a federal framework into place, do states that suddenly maybe didn't want to opt in or do they have to opt in and, and do they have mm -hmm. to opt in there? Because we all remember the reason that Nevada was the only one to get it was way back in the day. They gave everyone the opportunity. 92. Yeah, they gave everyone the opportunity to opt in. The only states that opted in in any way was Montana and Delaware and Nevada. But the only one to opt in fully was Nevada. So, you know, uh, Delaware got to so run the, the lottery. and So the distinction, correct me if I'm wrong, was Nevada gets has been allowed to have one single game batting correct. where the other states didn't. Parlay only lottery style. Okay. And Dela is it Delaware that was really ramping it up, though, in recent years, right? Correct, yes. With the parlay card. Yes. Was that net-net? Was that successful for them? I don't know. It's so heavily taxed because it's taxed who, under who the lottery. Who was running branch. that? Who, lottery. The law, so there was no expertise, or but I guess you don't move lines on parlay cards, so they figure okay, okay. And was the was the parlay payouts comparable to Vegas, or were they giving crappy payouts? They were worse than Vegas, yeah. Okay, so I mean it's lottery, to, you know, style. So so not to give anything away, because again, you are going to be releasing information as time comes. And by the way, guys, if you're interested on the regulation side, the integrity side. Maddie's Twitter is, in my opinion, uh, at least from a guy on the inside, there's media guys that do a great job, uh, much better. You know, they spend all their time thinking about this stuff and that's where I get most of my info. But from the inside, Maddie's Twitter. Now, now that you're a president or that you're, that's the plan, you're going to be a president. Have you <laughs> changed your Twitter? Or it's still the same Twitter right it's now. It's still the same for so now. So yeah. what is it? Uh, at Matthew Holt VP. Now, personally, I think it's a great Twitter account, but if you can only follow one. His Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. You disagree, man? No. <laughs> You'd follow me. More, yeah. But if you, but for integrity, you're much better. Uh, sir, probably. Gambling integrity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so considering what your, your plan is to be working in integrity, let's leave it at that. Would do you want a federal framework? Uh, so it's a close call. 
Yeah. So what's the pros and cons? Yeah. I mean, I think that, I, again, I think that it breeds a little bit of competition. What if that federal framework was bad right out of the gate? I mean, imagine trying to get that thing changed at all, and you don't really have anything uh. to compare it to. Here, at least you can go Pennsylvania. Boy, you know what? The tax rate you put in isn't working. It's profit prohibitive to the operators in Pennsylvania. And look at how the operators in New Jersey are so much more successful because the tax rate better, the fee structure, the licensure is better. So I actually don't like a federal framework because I think it breeds a little bit too much monopoly. And I also think the following. If you go from the most conservative state socially to the most liberal, you're going to have those states. And we've got the list right now of the states most likely to be in action soonest. New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, West Virginia, Mississippi, New York. You agree with that? Correct. And what would you I was. On uh, NPR Los Angeles today, and I put the over-under for what state they would be uh, at eight and a half. I thought they'd be pretty early in the second tier. What would you say for that one? What do you mean? So uh, eight and a half would be if California is the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, under would win. And if they're the ninth or beyond. California is going to be way past ninth. Really? Yeah. I mean, wow, look at all the states like that have had bills passed already or at least proposed. I think California is behind. And it, it's not that uncommon for the bigger states like that. Yeah, it's more a, complicated, too. Yeah. Huh? Okay. But I, 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 but don't they have a bill up, too? I Maybe I just saw it, that in the last I don't think weeks. they've passed legislature yet or, no, or, yeah. or passed a bill yet. So I think they're a little behind the eight ball where some states are a little ahead of them. Okay. Five-year. Oh, just to finish up about the federal. So you've got the states that love it. You got the states that hate it. And then as you keep moving towards the middle, there's going to be, yeah, but we're not going to rush. But then there's going to be about, I think, seven, eight, ten states that say yes, but very restrictive, almost like drinking. Oh, we don't sell whiskey unless it's a state store. Don't and sell liquor on Sunday. Not Sunday, yeah. And it might be, oh, you know, no bets over $500 or, you know, who knows? And, or it could be no college but pro. So if you do a federal framework that is that would have to for it not to get uh, pursued in the Supreme Court, because this was a state's rights issue. right? If Jersey wants to have unlimited, you know, unlimited betting, single bets, college pro, that's up to them. Right. That's what the Supreme Court said today. If the if the federal framework hypothetically restricted Jersey then I don't think that works. But if it was as free and loose as Jersey, then the states that were, would maybe do it halfway won't do it at all. Does that make sense? I agree. And I just think that, you know, to your point, it has to, and it's not just college or pro or betting limits, but, you know, mobile or not mobile, online or not online. You know, do we want people to be able to sign up from their phone and then bet from their phone? Or, hey, do we want to say, hey, let's dip our toes in the water and we have two casinos, a couple of tribals and a racetrack. And you can go to those locations that already have gaming licenses and make bets under the proper surveillance and regulatory authority. Look, I think we should let some of these states approach it how they want to. I don't think it's that much different than marijuana where... Some states are really against it. Some are really for it. Let them set their own guidelines, tax structure. You know, let, let them do it on their own because it's their constituents they're representing. I think the taboo on marijuana is much stronger than against sports batting. I agree, but there's still some taboo. You can at least yeah. put a comparison to it. Some states yeah. don't I, want it at all, and some states have it recreationally, like in Nevada. 
And I think it's, there's some justification with uh, <laughs> Killer Mike. I don't usually talk about guys named Killer Mike. You think I would more, actually. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just know enough that he's been on Bill Maher a good bit. And, and I, you know, the thing about Bill Maher, I don't agree with a huge chunk of what he says, but I always believe he believes what he says. Where a lot of pundits, they're just the party line no matter what. So I kind of appreciate that Bill Moore actually gets heat from the left too, because he'll disagree. But uh, Killer Mike's a rapper and he's been an act, a, a activist and stuff. And he said, listen, we as a, you know, the African American community have suffered the most from the drug war. Now we can debate, hey, if it was illegal, it makes sense. But then, but then there's the old debate about, oh, you could have a brick of cocaine and go to jail for two years, but you have a handful of crack, you go to jail for 10. You know, there's all kind of, I see both sides of it. But his point was that the marijuana enforcement, a lot of, you know, there's been, you know, thousands of years in jail for marijuana. Now that it's legal, it's like, wow, one minute you go to jail, the next minute you're in the Chamber of Commerce. No one has ever, and you can correct me if you know otherwise, no one in the United States for betting on sports has ever been prosecuted. Now, the bookmakers have. Right. But I, I've always read and I've never seen anyone contradicted that a batter has never been prosecuted. I don't know if that's true, but you don't know any instance. No, I don't. Okay. I, I can't think of any. Instances so it's rare if, if ever. So to me, a lot of drug users have gone to jail. So it just feels natural that there's this is a bigger. Now, look, I know of betters that have been prosecuted and I don't want to use any yeah. names um, for improperly betting in a state where it's legal. Giving a false security oh, number. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is, but that's the irony in the state where it's legal. You can get in trouble if you do it wrong. So, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, I feel like the amount of people are like, oh my god, I can't imagine we allow people to bet on sports. I think that's getting to be a small minority. I agree. So, which is good, I think. Okay, next question. I've looked at the. Media guys that follow this, the lawyers that do a lot of media too. The over under for number of states with legalized sports betting in five years, over under 32. What do you, over or under? Well, that's a great number. Five years from now, I will say over. Any any shape or form, you're taking bets on sports, right? That's mm-hmm. the only way we can yes. calculate it. I'll go over. But a smidge. By smidge, a smidge yes. Okay. Um, 4.8 billion bet on sports in Nevada alone. I guess it's hard to figure this because if the whole country, if it was a federal framework and it was everywhere, I would think we would be looking at potentially 40, 50 times the handle. Um, now you might think, well, Nevada has more than, but you think of states, like you said, like California, Texas, just if you look at the population in Nevada, then you got to account for the tourism. And there is a certain sector, and this is what people don't realize when they make these numbers for illegal wagering. There's two numbers in them that I really hate. The first one is I hate all these pools that are included in them, Super Bowl squares and NCAA March tournament Madness bracket. Especially. Yeah, March Madness bracket pools. But on the flip side, I also think the amount of people that don't bet now, my mom's a great example, 
you know, or she lives in Nevada, so she's not. Let's use my dad as an example. He wouldn't go make a bet if it was illegal. But if it was legal, you might get my dad to go down and throw some money on the Patriots or the Red Sox or uh, one of these legendary Boston teams that are in that neighborhood. Uh, so I think they underrate the value of the new, the amount of new betters that it will generate. But I also think there's an overvaluation in the bracket contest being added in and the Super Bowl squares and those type of things. I think you make a great point. And speaking of a framework, I think we can think about the following. What percentage of illegal betting will legal replace? Will new betters emerge now that the illegality and taboo is removed? I think the new batters are going to emerge. I think they're going to be recreational Correct. and they're going to be maybe 10 times a year type batters. Cause if you love it now, again, once you get a taste for it, you might love it, but if you love it enough now, uh, the idea that, Oh, the illegality is going to stop you. Maybe if you have a very sensitive job, right? If you're a doctor or something and even a misdemeanor might be a problem for you, I get it. Um, so you, but the number I've given on new batters, probably a little conservative based on what you said. I was thinking about 20%. Like if you just take the number of people that will make a football bet in uh, 2018, let's say, versus 2019 when it's legal, I'm thinking about 20% more individuals. Not handle, but individuals. I don't think that's a terrible number. I actually think it might be a smidge higher because... Anytime anything's new, people want to try it. They get a little excited about it. So I think initially it might be a little higher, but but I don't think it's far off. Now, I think we're going to, well, you're sharp. So you, and obviously I think my opinion is sharper. I wouldn't have it. We might agree on this one. I think most people would disagree with me. So we've got a pool of betting right now, which is truly bookmaker illegal. So forget the, the pools, forget, you know, but we got a pool of money that people are betting with bookies, either online uh, or um, white label with the local bookies, which is they've got the software and it's paper head, et cetera, which is very prevalent. What percentage of that handle disappears in 2019? What chunk is taken out of that? I think it's a big chunk. And this is where I tend to disagree with these sharp guys all the time where they say he's doing quotes when he says sharp. uh, He was looking right at me. I don't know. Well, it's because they always say, hey, look, you know, uh, the tax rates are going to be profit prohibitive. And these guys are always looking for the best number. I think 90 percent of the people, if you can do something legally, if you can do the same activity legally or illegally, I think 90 percent of the population would rather do it legally, even if they didn't get, you know, the exact same advantages. I agree with you. And if anything, it's what we were talking about, where I'm afraid about the different fees that the recreational betters are not price sensitive and thus, you know, this idea of, Oh, go down here and get minus one Oh five. They don't think like that. Here's why I think it's going to be a much smaller than you think. I think you're going to agree. I'm going to help Maddie. I think (laughs) it's the difference between post up and credit. If you already are betting, you know, it's any paper head, any local book, 99 out of 100 times, it's settle up figure, 5,000 or whatever your betting limit is. And thus you're not having to post up unless they figure a way. And I don't think they will with credit cards or whatever, where they will let people bet on credit in a state. Nevada is. So that's an interesting question. What has Nevada ever explored that? Like that we could, because they let people bet blackjack just on a signature. 
Have they ever explored that in sports betting? To the best of my knowledge, nobody gives credit for sports. Now, I think are they allowed to? I, I think that they can. They can or can't? I, I'm not 100% sure. I believe it could be a business decision. And what would be, what would you guess? And again, obviously, you guys at CG made the decision not to pursue this. What do you think the reason is for that? I think it's Responsible Gaming Act uh, kind of stuff. Like, if you're going to start putting people on credit, it just opens a whole new wave of responsible gaming. But it feels like in Blackjack. And the amount of bad credit you could bring in. Yeah, it feels like in Blackjack, though, the chance of getting, you know, drinking that seventh drink or whatever it is that gets a person drunk, and then you're on a losing streak, and then just shoving it all out. And then losing and then signing for the same amount again. When I did the fun ballers thing, that's what happened to Ricky Jarrett in the scene, right? It was, you know, that was the, uh, <laughs> the fictional version is, okay, he's up, he's up, he's up. He decides to go crazy, loses all, says, I'm going to sign for the same amount and bet it again. I mean, in sports betting, you don't see people acting that compulsively like that. Oh, gosh. Really? Well, How do they do I mean, it, though? The games take quick. hours and hours to resolve themselves. Yeah, but all of a sudden, your team, it's a football game. Your team's down 35 to nothing, and you're laying seven. Uh, you're looking to, for the next thing, and I see people do it all the time. I lost 200 on this game. I want to bet 400 on the next one. And the irony is when there is a settle-up number, that's when you see the whole Monday night where – Let's say your settle ups at five thousand dollars. I was going to say five dimes, but you might be people might be confused by the book five dimes. So five thousand, you're down seventy seven hundred. You bet three k on the Monday night game, right? Because if you win, you don't have to settle up, and then you feel like you've got a reprieve, and then you lose, and then you've got a monster envelope to pay. So I agree with you. Is I'm not debating that credit gaming. Uh, or credit sports betting uh, isn't risky. It just seems less risky for when it comes to responsible gaming than blackjack or or, or crafts or whatever. I would like to see some of the states be conservative by and not allow credit. So let's agree with. And again, I don't think there's going to be. If Vegas hasn't figured it out in all this time, why would Pennsylvania? Yeah. Right. So now the question is: You're in Pittsburgh. You've got your bookie. You got your website. You're paying your one ten and. Now someone says, hey, you got to have, you know, be betting out of your pocket. Or if you're going to go with an app, you got to have, you know, let's say you're a nickel batter. You're going to have to put 5K in there. Well, I think it's a real negative. How many, first of all, how many betters are even nickel betters? I think that's less of the population than you even think. No, I agree. I agree. If we took out our top like 3% of betters, the average bet size would be like $61. And that's how the Bodog about 10 years ago gave out numbers. And obviously they're a recreate. They were a recreational book became Bovada is their average, their mean bet or check that their median bet. So this, what, so if someone did bet 10,000, I don't know. Take it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a matter of saying half the bets are bigger than this and half the bets are smaller was 22 bucks. Yeah. So, but if anything, those are the guys that don't have money to post up either. If you're betting, you know, the guys that are I betting think the it's a much part. more enjoyable experience for those guys, too. Because to your point, let's say everyone now, the guys in Ohio don't have a choice. They want to bet football. They go down and sign up with the online account with the local bookie at one point or another. And you know it and I know it. And it happens all the time to these guys. They're going to get in over their head. And I think it's just as much of an enjoyable, I think it's a more enjoyable situation. You go put your money in your account at your local sports book. 
And you could bet as much as you want. Hey, you bet 20 bucks a game, and then all of a sudden you lost four in a row, so now you want to bet 100? Go ahead, as long as you have it. And then when you lose it all, you're broke again, but you're not bankrupt and you know mortgaged your credit cards. Yeah, and- but Maddie, that's like you saying a guy should carry a breathalyzer with him when he goes to the bar and he wouldn't get yeah. his DUI. So I think what's going to happen is if someone has their book they're happy with, they're going to keep that and they're going to be batting legal too because they're going to shop lines and everything. Sure. I just don't see many people, if they were willing to break the taboo before, I don't see people giving up their outlaw bookie. Like what's this, you know, I think it's just more outs, which I think is a great thing for the batters too. Yeah, I heard the same thing and I don't know how this works exactly, but, um, but I'm just going to use what I observed in my eyes by an optic situation. I used to hear people say the same thing about marijuana before they passed it for recreational use in Nevada. Our office at CG technology was less than a mile from one of those marijuana places. How'd so- you even know that? It's on my way home every night when I go to lunch. Anytime I drive out of work, I basically would have to see it. There was a line there. And everyone said, who's going to buy weed there for double the amount? They're just going to buy it from their local corner drug weed dealer, whatever they're called. I don't I'm really bad with this terminology. <laughs> uh, I think you're you're you're, you're uh, playing a little uh, too much. Here. And um, <laughs> there was a line there nonstop out the door. So obviously people were willing to pay the premium to do it legally, to do it in the right environment. I think people underrate the idea of I can't get in trouble for this. It's fun. I'm allowed to do it. Let me do it. I didn't. And I'm not a weed guy. I certainly had my fun in college, but I was. I always felt stupid when I would smoke weed. I felt stupid the next day, and I hated. It's like I'm stupid. What's the point? Right? <laughs> I, it's not like I'm all that nice. So I, I gotta yeah. be smart, right? So I mean, I never a, played on the football team either, so I didn't want to be the stupid guy. Yeah. For sure. So you know, not a great athlete. Not you know the. But I didn't know, like, it's the weeds, like, double. Is it, like, double the I don't know if it's double. Because my sense is it's, like, you know, a little bit more. I don't know the exact amount, But the thing thing that made me feel like that the weed actually had an advantage because you knew the quality was going to be the same. You know, it's coming from a producer. It's almost like buying food in some kind of, you know, uh, fake market on the corner. Well, well, don't you think the quality's better with regulated sports betting? You know Except you're going to get post paid. Up. You Except, know it's regulated. Yeah. You you don't ever have to worry about your bookie leaving, shutting down his website. There has to be some safety and security in that as well. I better agree. quality. I agree. I just wonder how big the post up is, and and we're going to see. That's why we're talking now. You brought up a great topic, mobile. Now, to me. The big debate is, and so this is going to be a two-part question. The brick and mortars that are natural, it would seem, are going to be the racetracks. It's going to be uh, poker rooms and places they have there. And also it's going to be casinos. Previously licensed gaming establishments. It's a great way to say, see, that's why you're here. (laughs) Um, My sense is within a couple years, those places will be there too because it's social and it's going to be a hub. But my sense is it's going to be like what, William Hill did, and I thought they made a great deal, and obviously you guys were tracking it at CG with PTs, where... But you saw where that went. No, so give me an update. So years ago, you know, they signed that PTs deal right out of the gate. So give, give the initial deal. The fra- so the, the, the initial deal was they were able to put kiosks in, I think it was 88 PTs locations spread across the state of Nevada, 
And these kiosks were fully serviced. You could go sign up for an account. You could put cash in, ticket in, ticket out, Tito system. Could you actually make a bet? You could make a bet. You could do all this cool stuff. It's almost like an app with a machine. Correct. Okay. But then the lobbyists petitioned and they put into effect what they called the kill the kiosk bill. Um, And now you can only have a full-fledged kiosk slash sports betting operation in a fully licensed, not one of those, you know, uh, uh, smaller ones where you have 15 slot machines. It has to be a full casino license operation. And now all those PT's establishments with those William Hill kiosks are basically account deposit only. You have to have a previously existing account and all you can do is go in there and put money into your account. Nothing else. Can't make a bet. Can't sign up for an account. And that's where I became aware. I, I might have missed the whole kiosk stage because did that get turned around pretty quick? Yeah. How long, yeah. So because yeah. everyone wanted to do it, of course. Yeah, it's hard to fight the power in this state, baby. You would think that a so major operator point, would have the power. To your point, you said, hey, you thought it was going to spread like that in every single state. But in reality, I think if you asked William Hill, would you want to have the same deal with PTs knowing all you could do is make a deposit? It'd be a much different deal, right? Except this, and you guys, again, I'll keep saying you guys, but you're now past CG. I loved what you did initially at the Cosmo. And for those that hadn't been, so CG Technology, Cosmo, one of the books, and initially on the, uh, on the second floor, Correct. is it was a book that, 12 seats, 14 seats? It was seats, really small. But it was perfect. Because people were using it to Perfect deposit. For who? Well, I thought it was. Because I could tell That's, you the business increased tenfold when they put it downstairs with that great bar and awesome seating. And and there's two sides of that. And the thing I did like about it, and, and that's what I want to talk about, the inside info on it, was you guys figured, listen, our app is where the future is. Have a place where you can, and maybe that wasn't the best place to do it because this is a strip location. A strip location, yeah. And more, I a think major it, middle of the strip. Location. Exactly. And my favorite. I mean, if I'm going to go for the night for fun, I'm at the Cosmo. Yeah. If I'm going to go, wonderful hang out, casino. I love it. And if I'm going to hang out and and try, you know, live the high life, I'm at the Bellagio. To me, that's my two. You know, and I and I would say if I'm really looking to celebrate, I love the Encore. Ooh. Encore is the only place <laughs> where half the guys have a, a sports coat on. Sure, like yeah. even at the Bellagio, it's like one out of ten, right? But at the Encore, they got the sports coat. So, and and uh, the food at both Win and Encore is some of the best. I think the food in Las Vegas is the best in the entire country, anyway. I think with if you say within a five mile circle, like yeah. pick any five okay. miles, but I think in New York, if you have the whole city, it's better, right? I think if you just say, give me a five mile circle, it's Vegas. Okay. That's what I would say. Yeah. But uh, I'm a connoisseur, unfortunately, too much. (laughs) Is I love the idea, though. Let's just extend this to 7 Elevens. Let's say they have the same PT, but the new, less good. Which already exists. With 7 Elevens? Yes. It's called Pay Near Me. Okay. Um, and William Hill and maybe a couple other establishments already use them. And basically you go in, I think. And so you, it's a third party that does it. Correct. Okay. And the limits are really small. I think it's $500 per day. That you can withdraw? That you can put into your account. Okay. That's fine. Yes. But what I'm saying, for the average batter. That's maybe, great. Maybe they have yes. to go down one time to some other location, get their app, get it explained to them. And from then on. Now, it'd be nice if those cases, places could pay, too. 
right? Which you, you, I think it's just such bad psychology to make it hard to get paid. Though I understand they want to do that to some degree because they wait and they lose it in the three days before on Saturday they're going to run down or whatever, right? And I'm sure you guys have calculated that. But in general, what percentage of the betting in five years in all the states do you think is going to be on apps? And obviously this is a wild guess. Computer slash apps. And we're regardless of whether those apps are affiliated with a brick and mortar account or not. Well, who knows what direction that's going to go, right? I think they will be for a while. I think app betting in five years will be somewhere between 65 and 75%. All right. That sounds right to me. Because Nevada is 65% now. It is. It's over 60 now. Yeah. And like five years ago, it was non-existent. It was very low. Yes. Now, another reason I thought that the Cosmo made sense was I thought the physical space of sports books, and I'm sure you have sweated this and felt a lot of pain, it's the worst of both worlds. 98% of the time, a big book like the Venetian is using only a tiny fraction of their space. But then on a, on a Sunday NFL, there's not enough room. Correct. <laughs> so it's either too, too busy or not busy at all. All the time. That's the massive dilemma. And we, we've, you know, I don't want to say we anymore. I don't, yeah. I'm no longer with CG technology. I left that firm, but that's the, the dilemma. All the big strip properties face to your point is 98% of the time, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday, all, you know, all day for those days too. All, you know, from 8 a.m. all through the day, it's a ghost town. I mean, listen, I'm there doing the NBA playoffs, playing cards just under the Bellagio. I mean, it's the NBA playoffs. It's what Colin's talking about all day, that day on the show. At the Bellagio, let's say, I mean, there is eight or nine people yeah. there. At Now, with the in-game, you would think it would get better. you know, cause The only time those books are ever packed is March Madness, Super exactly. Bowl, Monster Fight, something. Like six times a year. And you've got to appreciate how some books are doing it where, and you were mentioning how much better, and I want to hear how the Cosmo actually went. Because what I would think would work is, You've got the small location that's dedicated. Then when it's a football Sunday, you know, the, the uh, 30 days a year that are big, you open up a new area that become that is usually something else, but now it's a place to watch the games and there's a bunch of betting machines. And in theory, you can have the best of both worlds, but you're not spending all that space every day. You need to understand your customer base. That's what I would say to anybody getting into the sports betting market who says, should I build a big, huge book or should I just build a a small little area where people can sign up for accounts because the Cosmo is a perfect example of a book that's actually busy almost all the time. It has a great atmosphere. It has foosball, shuffleboard tables, this great bar, these cool couches, and it's right off the strip. You can literally walk 10 feet off the strip directly into a sports book, which I believe that might be the only major strip casino where you walk directly off the strip right into the book. So you walk right mm, into the book. The point. book's cool. That place is actually jamming all the time. It's worth having it at the Cosmo. Look at the Venetian, a beautiful book, huge square footage, one of the biggest in all all of Nevada. Outside of convention traffic, that thing's a ghost town a lot other than the big events. And I love this because you know so much more about it. If I had to guess why that is as I'm thinking about it, the Cosmo put a bar there. They have couches. We were there, what, a couple months ago with some people. We just sat there. 
you know, like it was our house, right? But and there was people there, and it was, it was a, a nice very game. ordinary night. But at the Venetian, there's a bunch of like uh, almost like little mini computer terminals yeah. where you're. I, I feel like that place was built for like some really serious batters, and and it's it's harder to be social there. Agreed, it, completely agree. Yeah, that's interesting. So at a certain, but but a book like the Sun Sunset here, right, which is a station's book, I can't find people in there. Right, which is a locals book. Sure. So I guess that's an example where you're not located just, in a busy area. Yeah, you're not you got getting a mall, all kinds. Of yeah, stuff but you don't have it. as many tourists, which they're going to want to sit there and watch the games no matter what. Like when my buddies come to town, they don't care if it's baseball. Hey, Dodgers games on. Let's sit and drink and watch the game. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I think our conclusion here is if apps do move in that, you know, to take such a big percentage, then having the brick and mortar places that are full service. Uh, or at least got a bun, you know, like a big racetrack with a big sports book. Probably not as important. There might be a bunch of Seven Elevens or whatever where you can deposit and and keep your app up to date or whatever, right? Or and, at least your account think, up to date. Yeah, I think for nine out of ten locations, that's going to be the case. But I do think you're going to have some cool locations in downtown areas. Think of the location at the Meadowlands across the street from the you know the Giants mm. and the Jets Stadium. How Phil. Uh, full would that place be on football Sundays with people filling in and out of the stadium and uh, and everything that goes on there? So I do think there's still a, an appetite for some places to have a big, giant, uh, fun atmosphere sports book where you could take wagers. But I also think a lot of places to maximize profits will look to just have a station where people can come in, sign up for an account, make a deposit or withdrawal, and then be on their way and bet from their home or their favorite pub or, or their buddy's barbecue. I have one last topic that I think is maybe the most interesting of all this. And I haven't talked to you about it. So I think you're going to be a little uh, reticent initially, but I'll get you loosened up about it before that though, is are there one or two other things that you're just not hearing enough? You're hearing all the guys talk and you're thinking they're missing this. They're missing that couple of those. I'd be fascinated by if there's anything left. Yeah, I, I don't know, really. I think people are, haven't looked really into some of some of the laws and what effect they're going to have yet. And I think um, you on a state by state basis. Yeah, like licensure. No one even ever thinks about what is it going to cost the people that are operating in that state to get licensed or what types of technology are available. You know, everyone just says, will this state offer it? And, um, you know, some of the licensure and technology approval issues are going to determine the quality of the operators you get in those states. And it segues to my last point. This is what I've been, and I think this is one we should really explore. I have been saying this, and I I did uh, a bunch. I, actually, tomorrow I'm going to be on uh, Closing Bell on CNBC, a little TV hit. So it's been you know kind of cool that obviously the the general media is taking interest in this. You know when you got NPR talking about it, but I've been saying this with a fist pound. I think in five years, the Ve- the number of Vegas books, and I'm going to put the Vegas books into two groups, CG and William Hill, which both of them, and you don't have to confirm this because I know it's true and maybe you don't want to, both of them, and maybe you do, both of them came in looking at Nevada as a beta test. Let's, let's get a reputation. Let's figure out the way the U.S. works because William Hill obviously is a European book and Cantor. Uh, the owner of CG technology had never done sports betting before. And the theory is when legalization happens, here we are, 
is we're going to have a brand and a turnkey solution just to go into Jersey, go into here, go into here. Would you agree that that not talking about either of those in particular, that, that there was some motivation in that direction? Sure, it could have been. Could have been. Now, <laughs> you're like on, uh, <laughs> you're like Pacino in Carlito's way when they, yeah. they'd go like, well, you used to move 50,000 pounds of heroin a day, didn't you, Carlito? He goes, something like that. He'd always say something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the, um, and then you've got the legacy books, right? The, the MGMs, et cetera, et cetera. I think, I don't, I can't really figure how good William Hill is because I know that the, the, the sharps hate him because they throw out more sharps than anyone. I, but I get a sense of recreational betters like him. So I think the sharps are always thinking, it's like writers, like Stephen King's no good. It's like, maybe, maybe so, maybe not. But, you know, we all know his name, and we, you know. So in Fezzik, I love Fezzik, but he, he, he thinks like these books owe him a living, you know. And I mean, listen, there's a reason that every time I say Fezzik. I'm the dirtiest player in the game. <laughs> but I think that the sharps look at these books from a certain angle that no one else does. Sure. Uh, so I think William Hill could be the exception. And William, William Hill has thrived w- with kicking out sharps. They make a lot of people mad. They kick a lot of betters out and their business is thriving. Because the theory is they don't, because w- the old rationale and CG used to really be strong on this, you know, six, seven years ago is taking that sharp bet's going to tell us enough about the market that even if we're negative EV, we're going to be able to make more with that information. Right. So we can all debate that, but in liquidity is liquidity. If you have enough of it, it gives you flexibility. Yeah. So, and, and if you look at the rec, you guys, uh, or CG during your years typically would hold less, but the revenue was great. Right. So who's to say who was right. It's an interesting debate. William Hill is saying, we don't need that. Right. We're going to be a market line. We're not going to take positions. Nick there, uh, Bondanovich is sharp. I think he's one of the, if I had to have a guy, you know, to call me and say, here's my three best picks with bookies. He'd be, if, if I was going to have three bookies in Nevada, call me, he'd be one of them. So sure. I want to get and again, me and Nick's only talked seven or eight times in our lives. So we're not friends. And, and I'm, I don't know him that well either on a friendship basis. And I, and I know he's a very sharp guy. So I think they're comfortable with their number. They're making a lot of money. Other than that though, I think these, and if you notice the stocks today went up, MGM went up and actually Caesars went way. I don't know why they would, maybe there was something else going on, but I don't think the Caesars of the world and the MGMs of the world or the stations of the, and who knows if stations want to, I don't, and, and I don't think some of the one location shops like Westgate or whatever, I don't think that they're going to have any success in any other States. Well, I think this is why Caesars may have gone up today. Caesars has so many properties all over the country. Caesars, oh, Indiana. so you're saying a built-in, a built-in place to have the yeah. there, which is fine because they're going to use their brand no matter what. That's a great point. That's a great. point. I mean, you literally have Caesars, Indiana, Caesars on the border of Ohio and Kentucky. Mm. I mean, there are Caesars everywhere, Mississippi. Um, so they got the built-in location. Yeah, but when you have the which ra- gets you out of the gate early mover. Yeah. That's interesting. Especially if you can manage risk from central locations, which some of these states are going to allow. That's fascinating. Now, you might be able to comment on this. You might not. And I'll respect if you can't. But the rumor is there was it, it was very close to a deal happening with Caesars where CG was going to take over the operation. 
Uh, that was a very strong rumor back in 2012-ish. Now, yeah. do you have any sense if that would have uh, that if that would have extended? Let's say the we'll say the rumor was the rumor that that would have extended to these remote locations in case of legalization. Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. To be honest, I had just kind of come on board the company. Well, we're only going by rumors, too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so I, I don't remember if there, you know, if there was a deal, what exactly the details would have been. Okay, but that, I hadn't thought of that. So I don't know how many Caesars properties are there in the. I mean, there like there's a 25 lot. or 30. Yes. I think Caesars. If we just went by locations across the country, might be one of the biggest casino brands there are. Caesars Harris. You know? Yeah, yeah. So they figure, hey, we're just going to open it, open it up in Mississippi, open it up in wherever. Okay, but when the reality is that's going to be a good start, but ultimately it's going to be about the app. It's going to be about, you know, a venture capitalist approach to this. And I strong and I don't think the Daily Fantasy guys are going to do great either. To but be do honest. we think that anybody's going to and this is where it gets interesting. Everyone talks about the apps, but yet everyone in Nevada almost uses the same technology. Because, and this is my point. So the app no longer is a differentiator. You look at everyone's, they're like, oh, the same, 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 same. That's my point. Literally made by the same company, the same app made by the same company with each different brand skin on it. I agree. But that's my point. And let's bring this full circle from the beginning. All those guys that moved here in 78, 79, 80, 81, 82, and now they're the guys running the books, making 600K a year. They want, no, they hate today. You, you think they might be excited, but if you're making 600 K for sitting with your feet up, why do you want to worry about New Jersey? Why do you want to worry about, you don't own this company. These are dinosaurs. And they're, I'm not saying they're not nice guys and dinosaurs might not be the right word. These are guys that are very comfortable in their ways. Might be the right way to say it. And I think some of my friction with some of these guys has been, I'm saying, Hey, we should get the jump on this. We should be, cause what ultimately happened, and you know, this as well, if not better than me, Maddie, when all the Indian casinos opened the river boats, it acted as a feeder system. It was like, if you get a taste for video poker in Kansas city, now the wife wants to go to Vegas for March madness, right? I agree. And look, one of the big telling things to me about some of that generation you're talking about is I remember sitting with a couple of them and talking about the impact of props and player props. Now, how the, many years ago was this? Uh, within the last year. <laughs> so I would have thought seven, eight years ago, the way you were. All right, go ahead. Uh, and, you know, and how it's so prevalent now. I mean, look, people do three times as many bets on props on the Super Bowl as the Super Bowl. I mean, player props and props in these events have become so big. And I was talking about how prevalent they are. And 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 one guy said to me, "Well, you know, I you know, I don't know if these props are working because I looked at the 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 parlay cards, the paper parlay cards, and the handle didn't go up. So I don't know if we're attracting the right kind of business." And I'm thinking, "What are you talking about? Millennials come in on their phone and they all they bet is props. But the last thing they're ever going to so do." So have you seen that younger people bet more props? Of course they do. But the, that generation that you're talking about doesn't get that. They think, "Oh, props aren't working because." Squares should bet props and squares should bet paper parlay cards, but 92 year olds bet paper parlay cards and the 25 year old millennial coming in. He does th two things when he goes to Vegas. Now he goes into the nightclubs and parties it up. And when he bets sports, he does it on his mobile phone and he likes the instant gratification. He bets first quarters of games. He bets player props. He bets so all saying, those micro bets. So when wow. he does not fill in little circles on a piece of paper. At some point between now and football, we're going to have to do another pod that's 
the psychology of the game, like what you, all your debt, you know, decade plus uh, in the industry and you were at CG, as you said, for what, seven yeah. years is you understand the psychology of batters, I think as well as anyone, because one, you don't have as much experience as these old timers, but you've kept an open mind, I think. And, and where a lot of them have, and I think also, but it sounds like what you're saying with the millennials is the same thing that the slot machine makers are thinking about how to make it more like a video game. Sure. And, and a bit, and, and people don't realize how much money is spent on the development of these machines. Design and development of these is unbelievable. I mean, there's been a couple mergers, right? What's the name of the biggest company? Psy Games or um, IGT? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. IGT slash Bally's? Yeah. yeah. What do they, I mean, I just vaguely remember reading. They have like six, seven hundred people working for them, right? Yeah, I mean, they're it's a huge. big number. Yeah, Konami, IGT, Side Games, all these companies have they huge just have, factories they have, and, and they have, but they literally have rooms of scientists and psychologists trying to figure out: Do we pay a little bit more, more often, but not as many jackpots? More jackpot, and it is a nonstop effort. You, they talk away about the way Facebook or whatever is gamifying your phone to try to get you addicted to it. They don't know anything compared to the way that, you know, especially about gambling, the way that these scientific uh, machine makers are doing it. And what you're saying is some of that phenomenon is replicated with the instant gratification. Sure. And I think sports betting is very similar. Um, and the daily fantasy market had quite a bit to do with it. Let's face it. At this point, daily fantasy on is, is on that road is on a direct merger to, you know, a direct path to merge with sports betting at this point. Um, but a lot of those guys that got into daily fantasy because they could play a bunch of leagues and pick those guys and they didn't have to bet on a team and they could do all this fun stuff and micro bet and play in game. Uh, they're moving over to the prop market and they do all that on their mobile telephone. I mean, when I came to Vegas, I remember all those casinos would have racks and stacks of paper parlay cards where you get your little pencil out and fill in dots after dots after dots and go up with a stack of them. And millennials don't do that anymore. And you have to be able to keep up with the product offering that people want that fits your generation. And I feel like some of those guys don't. You know, I've sat, I can't begin to explain the amount of meetings where I've sat in and we say, what should we do? What new products should we offer? What can we come out with? And and people are talking about paper parlay cards. And you're like, are you serious? And that's within a company that I think is amongst a handful CG that was looking, if anything, when you guy and you weren't there at the beginning, but when you guys came in strong, I mean, I thought the best time, and I mean, this is, you know, it was only a few years ago, so it's not like the old timer stuff, but uh, I mean, the best time to me was before William Hill consolidated Lucky's and Count Neva. So there was all kind of d- additional numbers. And then C or Cantor at the time was just going hog wild. I, I For the first time, I saw these old timers start saying, you know, we better perk up. Yeah. You know, it was like, and then when William Hill consolidated everything, when they bought up three places uh, or three different outfits, and then CG had to take a step backwards with some setbacks, everything just went back to the Mayberry sitting on the front porch. And that's my point. And I think that's part of the reason why some of these offshores and these per head have still been so efficient as they have. You look at the product offerings they have, the amount of futures, the amount of props, the amount of fun bets. We call them, we used to call them fun bets at CG. How can we make the environment more fun for that millennial better who's going to come in and bet all weekend long if you make the experience fun for them? And you're right. Some of these guys just do not get the, the 25 to 35 year old fun factor. And you made the point. 
is, is it stadiums technology that they're using for the apps? Most of them are, yeah. Okay. I think that's the one that pretty much everyone uses. So they one company spent the money to build the app. Now they white label it. So book XYZ saying, do we pay X amount per, you know, probably it's probably a licensing or whatever, X amount a month. Or do we do something we've never done? Because doing technology without knowing technology. It's so expensive. It's not only expensive. Even if you pay, it doesn't end up working typically. I mean, Steve Jobs, the way he, if you read the Walter Isaacson book about Jobs, which is the best one, is he went to Sony. Think about that and said, here's what I want to do with iTunes. They said, why don't we just do this? We own the songs. He goes, you guys couldn't build this in a thousand years. Now, Think about this. It's a, how many billions of dollars is Sony worth? But it makes sense because if you're one of the best programmers in the world, Sony can't pay you any, maybe they can't pay you a little bit more, but you're going to pay a little bit, except, you know, you're going to get paid 900,000 instead of 800,000, let's say. And is that going to be something where you want to work with a bunch of dumb dumbs or do you want to go to Google or Apple and work with people that were just as good as you? Geniuses like to usually like to be around geniuses. Sure. So it would be so hard, even if they had the will, for an MGM to build a great app. It would, just like Sony would have struggled. It's not about them MGM not being a good casino. It's just a different business. And since this is going to be an elect, uh, uh, a software business, sports betting is going to be a software business, I think... And marketing. Yes. I think in seven years, the biggest sports betting company in the world or at least in the United States, will be a company that doesn't exist today. I agree with that. You do agree with that? Yeah. I think it's some venture-funded... And I got a couple funded- of names in my mind. <laughs> really? It's going to be a venture-funded deal that they get real money behind. They're going to they're going to build apps that blow these out of the water, and they, they know how to market, too. You want to talk about data-driven marketing? You know, so I think we agree. Is is as This is going to change Vegas sports betting more than Vegas is going to have a, a, an effect on other states in the law, not in the short term, but in the five to seven year range. Yeah. I mean, Vegas is having a big impact now. I mean, the, the United States is looking to Vegas for advice on framework, how to set legislatures, what's work. Cause let's face it. We're not having an abundance of issues here in Vegas. Overall, they do a really strong job. Uh, the local regulators of, of keeping putting in regulations that allow the operators to make profits. They're not profit prohibitive laws, as well as, you know, keep the players safe. Keep the, the no, I agree. Yeah, I think I mean, we do a great job here setting regulations. And for in the way these casinos think about it, confirm if I'm right, is if we got to give up three percent of revenue, not to take a couple of risks. But each of those risks would have been a one in 10,000 shot of killing the goose that laid the golden egg. They'd rather take the 97% of revenue. Correct. It's just, I don't know if that works against a venture, like seven well-funded VCs, venture capital companies that are all trying to go for the gusto because they don't really care. Hey, if they blow up, they blow up because that happens, but it only takes one or two to succeed to be the dominant player. Sure. I mean, why didn't IBM have the biggest search engine? Right? Why didn't Microsoft have the, the best social network is usually incumbents are scared of the risks you have to take for the next iteration. Sure. Last question. I have a sense with the, with the state commission, with the regulators that they've been loosening up a little bit in the last couple of years with an eye towards, Hey, the competition's coming. 
things like MVP bats, the draft, do you get a sense in general that, that, that there is a little bit of knowledge that the uh, Monopoly's over and maybe we've got to get a little more ambitious? A, a little bit of that. I think some of it also is we, you know, uh, we tend to have turnover in political positions. We've had it here at the Nevada Gaming Control Board, and I think we got into a good place for a while where um, we, we had some regulators and chairmen of the Gaming Control Board, including A.G. Burnett, who were really innovative in their way of thinking and and certainly passed a lot of things that weren't passed before. MVP, Olympic wagering, um, some more judge things, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year that we weren't able to offer in before, but through real analytics and, and looking and doing the work and research, we were able to determine that you know we can we can ensure the integrity of these events to a really high level. Uh, and I think he did a good job of expanding that and taking it into account. That's Matty Holt. We were very lucky to have him. Short notice, busy day today, as you could guess, but he made time for the pregame family, for the dream preview, et cetera. We should have some exciting announcements about some stuff come football. And Matty Holt, it's Matt, on Twitter, it's at Matthew Holt VP. Yeah. And good follow. And guys, talk to you soon.